through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Uh, entitled The Message, The Soldier, The Athlete, The Farmer. Um, you're like, this doesn't, this sounds interesting. You'll see. Uh, <laughs> it's in there. Let's stand. We'll read it and then we'll pray and we'll get started. Sound good? <clears throat> you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time this morning. And um, Lord, we recognize everyone here is in a different place. You know, some of us are coming in uh, just really excited and, you know, ready to hear the word. And it's been a good week and others like barely got here. Um, Lord, we would just ask that you would um, minister to, to each, each person and everyone in between. God, so we pray that you would, uh, Lord, meet us in this place and that we would uh, allow you the space in our, in our hearts, in our, in our minds, and, and give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Give us the ability to understand and to grow and to change where you see fit, to be encouraged, uh, where we need it most. And that we would leave this place different than the way that we came. So, God, we pray for your spirit to move and, and work and, and, uh, and, Lord, blow our minds with your faithfulness, your realness, your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. So, 2 Timothy, uh, as we've shared, is, is Paul's final letter. It's his second letter to Timothy. Timothy ministering in Ephesus. Uh, Paul is on death row. He's about to die, um, and so there's something about this, his, his knowing that death is coming. There's a lot of emotion, uh, and there's a lot of clarity. Death brings a lot of clarity and, and focus as to what life is really about, right? Because as you're looking back at, at your life and you're looking at what you have, death is like all the little frivolous stuff that that a lot of times keeps us so big, it doesn't matter anymore. And, and it boils down to the things that really are important. And so Paul is sharing from that position, that place to Timothy. Uh, it, it's also, uh, he, as he's been sharing in the, in the past chapter, he's endured a ton of hardship. People have turned their back on him. Life has gotten rough. Uh, there's been parts of it that have been really, really uh, de- like sad for him. Um, he's in prison and he's he's stuck and and so he's he's enduring a lot of pain uh, and so he's in, he's reminding Timothy that following Christ is not always easy but it is so worth it and so he's commending him and 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 yet he's also calling him saying come meet with me come see me I, I need your help I I need you to bring me a coat and to bring me some some papers and I need you to I, I just want to be with you Timothy I miss you. So uh, with all that in mind, he gives this message. He's motivating his son in the faith 
to the call. He says, verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. My son, right? Paul looks at Timothy as his son in the faith. And we're going to see that there is a, an, a really important um, precedent for this in Scripture where we look at each other as, as ones we raise up and with care and, and, and direction and nurturing. Paul does that with Timothy. That's what these letters are. I mean, you're looking at it like a, a guy who's been there and done that encouraging someone who's on his way. We are so called to this. We're called to be Paul's and Timothy's in so many ways, right? So he says, my son in the faith, uh, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. The grace is interesting because we think, what's the first thing you think of when you think of grace? We think of, you know, being forgiven of our sins, right? Uh, And then, you know, being given, oh man, like now, God looks at us and he sees Jesus, his blood covering us. And, and now we're like made right before him. And oh, it's so amazing, right? Uh, and we love that. That's such a good picture. But this grace that he's talking about, being strong in it, is not just being free from the consequences of sin because of what Jesus did, but now being activated by that grace into service. You weren't just saved to be there. You were, we were saved to now take part in what God has set before us. He saves us for a good purpose and a reason. And that's what's so cool about it. Paul is going to get more into that. Um, our identity is established in the grace of God. That's what we got to understand right away. Our identity is established in the grace of God, not just in our salvation, but in now what that salvation means. And we've, we've kind of talked about this many weeks, but it bears repeating. Paul repeats himself a lot, so I kind of feel better about it, right? Like when we look at our lives and we, we, we view our past selves and we go, man, I'm so glad I'm free from, or I'm, I've been saved from the sin. I've been saved from that lifestyle. I've been saved from all the junk that I've allowed into my life or whatever. Uh, but, but if we just stop there, we miss the fact that we've also been now called out of this. The chains have been broken. We're now to walk in newness of life with a renewed mind, with a, with a heart that's not made of stone, but a heart that's made of flesh that's been renewed. We are to experience real transformation. And, and the, the joy of transformation, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like being transformed, even though the process can be difficult at times. There's nothing like the freedom of being transformed. And there's nothing like being a part of helping someone else become transformed or watching it. Right? I mean, that's like some of the best things ever. I did youth for such a long time. I was in youth ministry from 2002 all the way up till uh, 2016. And, and we saw lives changed in that time. And one that, that was one of the best things was to watch the youth grow. And, and my favorite thing is knowing youth from back then that are still walking with the Lord now, some of which are in ministry. There is such a cool thing about that transformation, what God can do. And so I love watching that and seeing that. And that's the call we have. That's our identity. It's established in the grace of God. It's not I, but God in me. But now I take on that new position and I don't willingly walk back into sin. I don't willingly walk back into bondage. I don't willingly walk back into a life of nothingness. Because we've been called out and into something new. 
And so that's where things get tricky. That's where we start to recognize the need for spiritual disciplines, the need to grow, the need to actually like put our money where our mouth is and experience what we've been called to experience. So our identity is established in the grace of God. We're experiencing the transformative work of God's grace. And we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the Holy Spirit is like, like God's agent part, to, to help us, the helper that's changing us from the inside out, that's speaking to us, that's convicting us, and that's changing us. We're made new in the work of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're awakened to the new call of God. So we're strengthened. That's what he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. And it's interesting because usually there's, there's, there's a couple ways you can look at like the Christian life. And, and some people it's just like, I'm weak. I'll always be weak. I'm never going to make anything. I'm always this. I'll always be that. I'll always, you know, I'm always going to be this. And there's a part to that where you go, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. You alone, apart from God, that's, that's not, you're not going to get anywhere. But what does it look like for a believer who is changed, renewed by the grace of God, you, you're no longer in that position anymore. That is no longer your identity, that you're stuck in sin like that, stuck in the way that you used to be. God calls us to be transformed. And we have these beautiful pictures of, of this in the New Testament. We see men's lives radically transformed by the good news of the gospel. So we're awakened to this new call that we are the answer. We have what we, uh, what we need to be awakened in Christ. God has given us what we need. He's given us the grace to go forward. Not just grace to be saved, but grace to operate in what he's given us to do. So, so like whatever it is that God's called you to do, he's going to give you the grace to do it. He's going to work with you in the process. So we need to be strong and we need to do the work. We're made new, so we got to act like it and live a new life. I think this is where we like a lot of times get stuck, where you're like, I feel God moving in my life. We get, I, I feel the transformation uh, of ex receiving him, and I feel like old stuff coming off, and then we kind of get stagnant and go, ah, well, I guess that's just the way I am. I guess I'll always be like that. Uh, and, it's, and it's easy to do that, you know? It's like, I have a, I'm sorry, I got a temper, I'm Irish. The red hair is a warning. Like, watch out. This person could get upset. And I remember, I remember talking to my, one of my friends, and I was like, hey, man, well, what do you expect? We're Irish. And he's like, no, we're sinners. Like, stop. Uh, you know, you're, you're new in Jesus. Don't do that. Don't blame it on your ancestors, you know. So we're made new in that way. Paul understood this. Big time, right? First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen, one of the great um, uh, passages to uh, defend and um, to to really prop up the resurrection of Christ. Paul says this, I deliver to you, first of all, that which I first received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me, as by one born out of due time. Paul starts by saying, this is something supernatural. 
What, what, what we are going to see in our life is supernatural because the whole thing is supernatural. Jesus rose from the dead. Every, all these people saw it happen. Many of these people who are still alive to this day saw this happen. And he says, and lastly, he was seen by me. Paul saw him in a very different way, right? Um, and so on the road to Damascus. Then verse 9, he says this, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. This is how he views himself in an earthly context. He says, but uh, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so here's an identity statement. I was this in and of my flesh. I didn't deserve anything good, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am new. I stand differently. And so what's his response to this new identity? And his grace toward me was not in vain. This is the grace but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So here's that picture of grace strengthening, being used in radical transformation. Paul just said, I, I received the grace, and so my sins were forgiven, and then that's it. No, he's like, no, the grace of God was on me, and I worked really, really hard. And as I was working really, really hard, God's grace was working in me and through me and, and to me. And, and what's the result? He changes dramatically. His life is radically transformed, and there is no one we can look at like that lived a life like the Apostle Paul. So he's saying, it's not me, it's not I, but the grace of God in me. But did that mean I didn't put forth any effort? Oh, no, he put in a lot of effort, but it was the grace of God that sustained him and brought him about to that place. So this is what we got to recognize. I mean, I think it's really good news because you go, gosh, this sounds like works. It's not works in the sense of like salvation works. It's works of recognizing what you have at your fingertips, what has been given to you. You're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. We work it out. We get to use it and find out, man, it's better than I even thought, right? You first get a guitar, and what's the first thing you learn how to do? Play it very loudly and very terribly. Just whatever. Does this sound good? You know, my uncle kind of taught me how to play guitar, uh, and he taught me a few things. And I, and I remember I had the audacity one day to tell him, I think I figured some stuff out. Uh, and so what I would do is I'd play all the strings, and then I'd, I'd use this, this uh, high uh, E string, which is the last one. And I was just moving it up and down. I was like, do you hear this? This sounds really good, right? And he's like, right. Um, anyway, uh, let's try a G chord. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I think I got this. But as time goes on, the more time you spend practicing and, and uh, working with it and learning things and, and putting in effort, the more you could see what a guitar can do. And I can make it do a little bit, but when you find someone that's really, really good, it's, it's like unreal what they can do with that guitar. It's unbelievable what they could do. And one of my favorite things I, is to watch like videos of people who are super good at guitar getting like a $100 guitar and showing you the guitar is not the problem. You want to see what I can do with this Squire guitar? It's not the guitar is the problem. You're like, that sounds actually really good. Yeah, it's because they're really good. 
And so we recognize this in pursuits like music or sports or, or learning how to do media, video, all those kind of things where you learn how to use the equipment you've been given and, and the, the more the effort that you put into it, the more you get out of it. That's us working with. God's given us everything that we need. He's given us these gifts that are hidden in Christ that we got to find. How do you find them? You dig deeper. We dig deeper. And so that's this beautiful picture. You have been saved by the grace of God. That is amazing. What's, what's also amazing is that you've been saved not just from something, but into something. So what does that look like? And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Recognize, in recognizing who you are, means you fulfill your ministry, and then you raise up others to stand in the like manner to how you're standing. What's interesting is, if you think about this, I heard a, a pastor speak on this, and he was talking about, if you could do a lineage back from all the people you were affected by, and you could just go back and, and do like a you know, family tree in the, in the Lord, and go, who, who was the biggest effect on you uh, and your relationship with Christ? And you just keep going back, and you keep going back, and you keep going back, and you keep going back. And it's just like if we were to look at our, our, our family lines, like, do you get, eventually get to Adam? You know, it's like, but imagine how far back. Look at the line of, of, of faithfulness that goes back. My last name is, is Odd. Fick, F-I-K. Like, what in the world? No one spells it right. It's three letters, you know, but nobody spells it right. Why? Because it got messed up when they came to Ellis Island. This is from the Netherlands. Uh, and so my great-great-grandpa's name got changed uh, from Klaus Bodefick to Nicholas Boda, middle, last name Fick. So this name doesn't exist, but he was Bodefick. So where's that? Anyway, um, and so there was three boys in my in my family, and uh, or my my grand my grandpa. He had two brothers. Uh, one of them never had any kids. The other one had only girls. And then uh, so my grandpa had one son, two daughters, and then so right now my dad had two sons. Uh, my brother hasn't had any kids. So I, then it's me, and now I have one son. No pressure, son but you're going to have to keep this thing going, you know? The, the name is in your hands. <laughs> and so you look back and you can see the lineage, and, and maybe you like doing that Ancestry.com, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Maybe you did the DNA test and you found out you're, you know, whatever part, you know, something crazy. I don't know. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. Who knows? Oh, I felt like I was Kenyan, and then I did the test, and now I know. Um, but, but the idea is this, is, is that we are all part of a lineage of faith, a line, something that has been caught and then passed on. So this is the, this is the way it works. What did Jesus say? The great commission to go and make disciples. That's what this is. You receive and then you give. We pass it on to commit these things to faithful men who will be willing to teach also. We are always in this position of multiplication. So find faithful men, build them up, commit to them the next generation, build up, pass on. No, but how do we do this if we're, if we're like kids who never know who we really are? You know, 
That's a, that's a lot of people who are stuck in this case of arrested development. Like, you don't even know you're a man yet. How, how on earth are you going to be a man of God? You don't even know you're a man yet. You know, I, I just turned 40 like a month ago or something, a month and a half ago. And I'm like, what? Was I just 18? You know, I felt, and it's all of a sudden you're like, oh, 40. Okay, I'm grown up. You know, not really, but you know, it's like, that's kind of nuts to think about for me. So I remember when my dad turned 40, well, he was old at that point. Luckily, I think times have changed. 40 is the new 30 and <laughs> et cetera. It's like 40 is the new 30, but I saw my friend, he said, 50 is new 40, 40 is new 30, but it's odd that now uh, 9, a, 9 p.m. is now the, the new midnight. Uh, so, you know, it all comes out in the wash, huh? So ver verse 3 then says this, You therefore, with all this in mind, that's what you see therefore, with all this in mind, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul likens Timothy and those who seek to follow Jesus to view their lives. He's asking them to, uh, he's calling them to view their lives as the life of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. There's going to be three different examples. And they all kind of touch on something different. A soldier is someone who's called to something greater than just seeking your own interest. Right? As a soldier is becoming part of something bigger than themselves. Now, notice, who is the one that calls you to be a soldier? I decided to become a soldier. No. You have been called and enlisted as a soldier. You have, been, you have now become part of this. That's part of, spoiler alert, that's part of what that baptism class is going to be about. So you say you want to be part of, the, of this? You are now aligning yourself and, and you are choosing to follow Jesus. You know, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, you know. This is, this is the mindset that we take on. So Paul says, you are called as a soldier, and there's going to be hardship, but you endure as a good soldier in Jesus. This means we've got to be strong in the grace of God. We've got to be built up in the grace of God to be able to withstand, like Paul, like what Timothy will experience. Like we see in Stephen, as he endures suffering, he says, you know you're going to suffer, and in doing so, you're, you're taking part in the sufferings of Christ. So you're a soldier. You're called to something greater. A soldier also has a single-minded focus. They have one thing on their mind. That's kind of the thing where he's saying there. Like, you don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. You're not caught up in all the, the stuff that's trying to, to rob us from real purpose and meaning by thinking we're getting purpose and meaning from them. So we're not, we have a single-minded focus. There is a mission, and we have a direct report for our service. God has called us as servants. So we've mentioned this a few times. Faith, the word faith is pistis, and that, has, that, has, uh, that means allegiance. We align our lives by faith in Jesus fully following him. I think Paul's being really strong with his language here at the end of his life because he really means this. He's like, Timothy, this is the best thing you can do is to, is to get it in your mind, get your mind set on following Jesus no matter what. You, you pledge allegiance to Christ over any other thing. And as soon as we do that, everything else kind of comes and falls into place, right? 
Because it, it, you go, you, everything is, is brought up by that, we talked about last week, that filter. Is, is this allegiance to Jesus? Does this fit with my following Jesus wholeheartedly? Does this, does this align with that? If not, sorry, it's not going to work. I am single-minded in my focus. So it's a death to self, it's dedication to God, and it's a war against our own self-centered lifestyles. Um, the idea of becoming a soldier, I've never done this. I know many of you have served, and thank you for that. Uh, the closest thing I can understand is, is many, many that is football, hell week, right? You know, that was kind of like our thing. And, and you, part of being a team is in a similar way. We'll get to athletes in a second. But where you choose to not think only about yourself, you've got to do this for others. You're thinking about others. It's not just you. And so especially with soldiers, if you go rogue and you do your own thing, not only will your life be affected, but everyone around you's life will be affected. So we are called to that same with even more tenacity to following Jesus. We're called to this. I read an article yesterday, uh, and it, it was really interesting. It was, uh, it was titled this. It was by Kerry Newhoff, and it said he's a leadership guy. It said, three ways attractional church needs to change to reach the next generation. And he was talking about how attractional church has been the model for the last 20 years or so, where it's like, you know, light everything. Uh, but it's, it's to reach out and bring people in. And, and it's got amazing music, and it's got amazing aesthetics, and, and uh, everybody's really welcoming, and, and it's, it's, it, there's like a formula to it, right? Uh, and so, you know, welcome in. Uh, we're not going to give you too much worship. We're not going to give you too much teaching. It's going to be appeal to the masses. Uh, but what we're finding out is that it's not working. There's a change. There's a shift in the culture of the generation. And so here's what he said. Historically, churches reached unchurched people by doing a little less on Sunday morning. Less worship, more careful language, less intensity, and for a decade or two, that was effective. The changes that need to happen to reach people, uh, the changes that need to happen to reach people all focus on the surprising but challenging truth. In today's changing culture, unchurched people don't want less of God, they want more. And so this is what I think we're all we all know this inside ourselves. We don't want less of God. Although we might, in our like uh, laziness, want less of what it takes to get more of God. But people are looking for more real contact. They are looking. You show up to a church, you want a touch from God. And we need to be here for that. We, we need to be those ambassadors that it's not just like, well, if the Holy Spirit shows up, that's a bonus. But we've kind of got it down. And I've got some really good jokes and some really good points, and who could resist it? But I think what we're, what we're going to see and what we're seeing is people are hungry for the real thing. And so what are we, what are we going to do? We have to be the real thing. Right? And so... What started as good intentions is let's make it really easy to come in the door and let's make it really easy for people to hear the good news of the gospel. Those, those can be good intentions had turned into come in, um, hope everything's good, you know, uh, we'll make you, you know, the perfect drink. We'll, you know, everything, everybody's going to give you a foot massage while you're listening. If it gets a little bit long, um, 
sorry, you know, here's a voucher for 50 bucks to get lunch. Uh, we're sorry it was five minutes over, you know. Um, oh, bring your children. We'll give them a Nintendo Switch when they walk in, and now it's, you know, that's our gift to you. And so it's like, oh, I want to go there. I want to go to that place. My kids would be like, Dad, we need to change churches. <laughs> but you can go for a week. <laughs> you can come back with that switch. Um, just kidding. But, but that was, that's like, it slowly becomes that. And, and uh, I heard one pastor read, like, I, I'm not going to do this because you can read the mission statement. It's like, come into our Starbucks-like coffee shop. And we have, you know, all this. And you're like, yeah, this is, none of it's bad in and of itself. But it's like this catering to extreme comfort and like, you're the boss. You come in. You this. This is not, this looks nothing like what Paul's talking about. This is, looks nothing like it. And so I looked up a couple of Navy SEAL mottos or, or Navy SEAL sayings. L- listen to this. Tell me which one sounds more like what Paul's talking about. What sounds more like following Jesus. I voluntarily accept the inherent hazards of my profession. Placing the welfare and security of others before my own. I serve with honor on and off the battlefield. The ability to control my emotions and my actions, regardless of circumstance, sets me apart from others. Uncompromising integrity is my standard. Here's another one. My nation expects me to be physically harder and mentally stronger than my enemies. If knocked down, I will get up every time. I will draw on every remaining ounce of strength to protect my teammates and accomplish our mission. I am never out of the fight. I'm thinking, which one's more of a motto? Which one would Paul be like, yes, to? Now, obviously, it's not, we're, this is not a, an appeal to the flesh where, oh, I'm just going to grin and bear it. But it is an appeal to allegiance. It is an appeal to uh, following wholeheartedly before God as a soldier. Oh, man. And and don't you sense that calling? Don't you feel it? Don't you feel like, man, the the things that, that I feel like I'm missing out on are not because I've given too much to God, but too little. Verse 5, and also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Um, So soldier, single-minded, right? Soldier has a single mind. He's not worried about all the other stuff. He's following wholeheartedly. What about this athletics? The athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So what is he doing? He's going all out and he's paying attention with a hunger to win. He disciplines himself by doing the hard work before the competition. There's a, so this is, there's like a hunger to win. For years in my room, uh, we had this thing at my school. It was like a trackathon, you know, one of those things. But it was like a team event. And the school was all uh, split up in all these different teams. And uh, uh, so you would, it was like 12 teams. And there was standings back and forth the whole day, long jump, high jump, you know, all, all these different things. And my team got seventh place. And I had in my room a seventh place banner hanging up for like years. And it didn't bother me. It wasn't like purple. I mean, it, was, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, gold or red. It was purple. I mean, they were running out of colors, like you're light purple, you know. 
That's your favorite color? Okay. Light purple. But, that, I mean, that's not like a winning, you know, light purple. It's like a nice try, but, you know, at the same time, not so good. Um, I had that hanging up in my room, and I'm like, why would I have that? You know? We, we, we just had our, our, our high school and junior high summer camp. We got second place by 50 points, the, the least amount of points. Our, none of our kids even wanted to watch the recap videos of it. They were just steaming mad like we were this close. Oh, next time, you know. So it's like we want to run in a way to win. And I think that that's important to understand. You're like, well, I'm just more about the participation. You know, I heard this guy speaking, and he's like, I, I love running. I've kind of gotten into it. I'm never going to be a pro, but I've, I've done it enough to where there's been, I, I do the 5Ks, and one of the things I know about 5Ks is everyone gets a medal for participating, and he says, and that's fine until you get one of the top three places, and then you don't want anyone else getting a medal. You're like, no, 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 no. Everyone else doesn't get a medal. I get one because I worked really, really hard at this, right? And, of course, we can get off and think it's all about us. But, no, the idea is that we discipline ourselves, we work really hard, and we hunger to live a life of integrity that will win. And it's going to matter when we need it the most. Again, football, we would always find out at Hell Week who did their off-season workouts. Who did their off-season running? And those guys were the ones throwing up nonstop. The guys who did it, or the guys who didn't, were throwing up. The guys who did it were tired, but they were okay. They were able to endure. And you're going to need that to be able to endure, and not just to endure, but to look to be crowned. Guys, there's like, a, there's like an element of like what we're doing and how we're doing it really matters. So, like, why would we think that God wouldn't want, why would we not want some sort of crown or gift or, or, or accolade by, by the Lord? No, we, we compete like those who are in athletics. You know, we, and we compete according to the rules. We keep that in mind. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say. And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. The, the hardworking farmer. There, um, there are only hardworking farmers, really. The rest are not farmers anymore. Farming is a wild, wild profession. Now, even with all the machines and all that, wake up before the sun. Uh, you've got to be moving. There's only a season when your stuff's going to work, like where you're, you, can, you can plant and it can grow. And you're, everything is so dependent on, you know, weather and all this and that, and it's, it's wild. Now, imagine farming first century. I'm talking about first century farming. I like, insane, right? We watched, I mentioned this before, we watched Little House on the Prairie, and you see Pa out there, and he's like, yeah, and he's like doing the, you know, plow, trying to farm, and I'm like, this looks terrible. Let's just not have vegetables, you know? We do something else. I'm just kidding. I know it's more to the infrastructure than that. But the, the hard-working farmer uh, must be the first particular of the crops. Hard-working farmer is, yes, you're, we are 100% saved by grace, but we are called to work out our salvation with the grace given of, in, of us, and we are called to hard work. Hard work, perseverance, to stick with the program. That's the other part, right? If you're a farmer, you've got to stick with the program. You've got to know what you need to do and keep 
doing it, right? Because if you think about like, oh, you know, I came in and I, you know, I, I, I started to farm and then nothing happened. Hmm. You know, I can't believe it. This usually happens in like a backyard, uh, you know, garden. I remember we planted one one year and we were out there and we were planting all these things. We're going to have watermelons. We're going to have everything. And like, like not most of that did not grow. It just didn't, you know, this doesn't work here or whatever. But we would, we would go and we'd plant them, and you'd spend all day out there, you know, getting the ground ready in the, like, a, like this square space, you know. And you're like, put it in there, plant the seed, water, 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 nothing, 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 nothing. And you're like, I don't think it's coming. It just doesn't seem like it's going to work right? And then you keep on going out there and you keep on watering and it's a commitment to time. And you start thinking, I'm spending way more money on this thing that might not even grow. And all this time, and what am I getting out of this, you know? Like, I don't understand. What am I, I'm I'm missing out on, what, what am I supposed to be getting out of this? And so you keep on going, you keep on going. And if at any point you give up, you know, kiss a goodbye. Like, it's, it's over. Like, the whole thing falls apart. And you, the thing that you've been working on and, and cultivating for all this time, it can all fall apart by you giving up. So the hardworking farmer is, is, first of all, persistent, and he sticks with the program. You continue to do it even when you don't see results. Even when you don't see results. And that's so often what we see in those around our lives, especially, you think about this, right? As a, as a believer, you look around at people and you pray for them for years and years and years. Maybe it's one of your children, and that's, just, that's the hardest one, right? Where you're constantly praying for them, and you pray and you pray, and you find out that they, are, they, they have their own mind and their own ideas and their own way, and you realize you can't control them. And so what do you do? You pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and nothing seems to happen. What do we, how do we endure? You do it, you endure like a farmer where you know what it takes. You just keep doing it, right? So we continue to press in into prayer. We continue to trust God. We continue to build up our own spiritual life and we continue to read the Bible. I read the Bible once and I didn't even get anything out of it. Well, one of the things I've heard from many of you who started doing, when we start doing the, the, the Bible daily reading plan, is you go, this has been transformative. And it's like, man, this is magic. It's not the Bible plan. It's not like, it's not like how you read it. It's just the fact that you do, right? And as we continue to do that, what's the result? Growth, growth, growth. In due season, we will reap what we've sown right? So you come out and you, you, you give and you pour and you plant and you water, but in due season it comes. So we're like the hardworking farmer. And so we're the first to partake from the crops. The hardworking farmer that goes out there and goes all in. We stick with it. So, right? First, the soldier, we have our allegiance. We're single-minded. We follow Jesus 100% fully with everything that we have all in right? Second, we, we do it like an athlete. We're hungry to win. We do it with passion. We care. 
We, we, there's like a, a prize, and so we want to run towards that goal, towards the upper call of Christ Jesus. We want to lay hold of that of which he's laid hold of us. We want to experience like the, the workmanship he's created us for the good works he's prepared for us beforehand. So we hunger and we thirst and we drive and we strive in discipline. And we're like the hardworking farmer that's going to partake of the first fruits through hard work, persistence, discipline, sticking with the program. In due season, Paul reminds you, there will be value. Remember, Paul's been walking with Jesus for years, and the fruit has been evident in his life. So he's telling Timothy, you want to know the secret? This is the secret. Follow Jesus with everything you have. And so this morning, it's the first Sunday of the month, and it's such a good reminder. Uh, we, We do this every first Sunday, communion Sunday, where we have the elements out here, the Lord's Supper, where we can come and partake. And we do this in remembrance of what he did. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. His body, that would be the bread, or in this case, a styrofoam wafer, (laughs) represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And we remember that. We remember, like, this was for me. And then we take the, 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 the blood, the juice, the grape juice, and we remember that this was the blood that was shed for our sins. The blood was a, was a, a symbol of um, covering going way back, right? Even think Passover. Uh, it was all part of the sacrifices. It's the atonement, right? The blood that, that over that, that covers us and frees us. So we do this in remembrance of him. Uh, the Lord's Supper is, is one of the sacraments. There's like two that he says, like, do these. One is the Lord's Supper, and the other one is baptism. That We do these again and again and again, and we're reminded of who we are as we do this. And so we look at the, the blood, and we look at the body. We come to Jesus, and we remember everything uh, we, we remember all the, the, the grace that he's bestowed on us and that it wasn't in vain and we confess our sins afresh and anew. God, here's where I'm at. Here's, here's where I've, I've fallen. Here's where I'm messed up. Here's where I'm letting the enemy have a foothold. And we confess it to him. And maybe today you, you hear the message and I think we're all probably like hit by like what Paul's saying. It's not something I'm saying. It's what Paul's saying. But, but we, man, we are lazy <laughs> We are so lazy sometimes. And so you go, and what do you do with that? You bring it to the Lord and say, man, I have not been, I have not been charging it like you want me to. I've been lazy. I've been full of sloth. I have not been uh, single-minded. I have not been striving to win. I have not been hardworking and enduring. I give up too easily. So what, would, what do we do? We bring that to Jesus, and we say, Lord, here it is. Uh, I want my mind to be transformed and changed. That's repenting. I want my mindset to change. I want to think about this differently. And I want to go from this place with aligned values, your values, following you fully and completely. And then we can ask the Lord, awaken us to our identity in Christ, to know who we are in Christ so that we're no longer, uh, um, we can't be convinced that we were that kid who had that upbringing or has made those mistakes or used to be this or used to be that. Remember Paul said, you know, the world's full of all these different types of things. And it's like all, there's a whole list of them. He said, among whom were some of you, but you were, you were bought, you were cleansed, you were made new. 
And so we need our, our minds to be changed by our newness of, of identity. So when we walk out of this place, we recognize that God wants way more for our lives and from our lives. And as he gets more from our lives, we are more awakened to the good things that he's doing and awakened to, man, this is actually what I was called to do. Paul never lacked uh, direction in his life. I mean, he knew what he was about. And he never's like, man, I kind of wish I wouldn't have done this. He's like, I am just so grateful that I've been called and chosen even to suffer. So help us, Lord. Lord, let's pray. Lord, help us to align our hearts with you. Help us to uh, align our lives with you. Help us to, um, to see the stuff in our life that's not That's not in alignment. That's not, um, that's just, that's just like half there. Like that we're, we're not fully committed, Lord. And help us to understand um, that we're not what we were. We're not how we were brought up. We are made new and we are called to be part of the, of being transformed. You want to transform us. But part of that transformational process is us choosing to follow you and honor you. And committing our way to you. So Lord, as we come and we, we take this communion, this the Lord's Supper, we do this and we remember it. And we remember what you did. How you died on the cross for our sins. And you've made us new by your blood. Uh, you've, you've taken on the, the curse of sin with the breaking of your body. And you've made us new um, by the cleansing of your blood. Lord, and so help us to recognize that we are actually made new and then to walk in that newness of life, that our, our minds would be renewed and transformed, that we would not be no longer be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. That we would know what's acceptable, what you've called us to, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Lord, we thank you, God. We all need your help. We all need your, your grace in our lives. And, and so help us to receive the grace of forgiveness and receive the grace of, of newness of life and to press forward in strength, to endure and to grow for your glory, for your kingdom, for the next generation, to pass the baton to the next generation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.